We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, everybody, to the CFP Nation All-America Podcast. My name is Bill Trochi, Senior Editor here at SportingNews.com, alongside Bill Bender, Lead College Football Writer here at SportingNews.com. And we have hit the stretch run. Rivalry week is over. We are waiting championship week. We've got hirings. We've got firings. Bill, is this the most wonderful time of the year? Not if you want time off. No. <laughs> like, if, I mean, no. So, no, it's fun. I mean, rivalry week's fun, but championship week is there's a lot of work to it. And it's it's like you said, it's like your focus is two different directions. On one, you're focused on the championship and the playoff. But as it's become inevitable with the hirings we'll talk about later uh, this week or later in this podcast, that that's part of the story, too. And it wasn't until you like pointed it out yesterday. Was, oh yeah, signing days in like two weeks. So they they do compress the pre Christmas calendar to a lot of things happen in college football. But it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah, true. College yeah. football has never quite figured out its calendar. They, it's like they got free agency and and and, and uh, coaching hires and fires and the draft. Uh, you know, all rolled into one. If it was another sport like the NBA having the draft in the middle of the playoffs or something, because we've got. We, we will have coaches trying to orchestrate signing day while also trying to win a bowl game on the same day in December, which is just, uh, it's really funny to think about. So today is our first of three podcasts this week. We will be uh, discussing, uh, previewing what should be a very interesting sh- uh, ranking show tonight where they will release the rankings ahead of championship week. Okay. And then after, after we will... This first show, we will also talk about, you know, what happened to Rivalry Week, some coaching hires and things like that. And then tomorrow we will go over the rankings. We'll see who's number one. And more importantly, we'll see who's number five. Uh, break it down from there. And then, of course, Wednesday we will preview Championship Week, give our picks, give our updates, do some trivia. Bill, I'm ready for trivia this week. You, you're going right. uh, to be fired up. It's going to be good. Uh, I think you will do well on it. It's going to be a fun little segment there on – Thursday morning. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's start with rivalry week. Let's start with Michigan and Ohio State. Michigan bloodied Ohio State through the air, and then they bloodied them on the ground, and then you were bloodied in the press box. Can we start there, please? What happened to Bill Bender first and foremost before we get to Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh, and the stars of Saturday? I have a cut on my nose. So, uh, yeah, I cut my nose. I don't even know. I, like, scratched my nose, and this thing just bled and bled and bled and bled. For, like, uh, Nicole Kraft, she works uh, – she helps with the lantern at Ohio State. She got me, like, a wipe to wipe my face. It was embarrassing, but at least I didn't go viral for that reason. But – um. So you were interviewing J.J. McCarthy with blood trickling down blood. your face. I was Is asking it? him a question in the press conference with blood coming down my face. And very embarrassing. But it all came out, you know. So, And, uh, you know, my good friend Todd Jones, he works for Ohio State. He's a former Columbus Dispatch columnist. He's like, man, this game's so intense. The writers are bleeding everywhere. He, he's the best, <laughs> really. So, And we witnessed what – but none, you know, that pales in comparison to the the – there was a meltdown in Columbus for Ohio State. It was a second-half meltdown where they were – you know, you and I have talked all year about Michigan's second-half adjustments, outscored them 28-3, to stuck with the running game, got the big plays there, rattled Ohio State. And this is so uncharacteristic. I mean, we'll get into some things about Ryan Day here, but it, it Michigan's not afraid of them anymore is really what it comes down to it for me. They, they are the aggressor. Harbaugh knows it. And uh, for J.J. McCarthy to go in there and, and total four touchdowns and throw the ball, and, and really Ohio State was the one that flinched, and I didn't see that coming. I don't think too – outside of that Michigan locker room, I don't think too many people saw that coming. I was going to ask you, yeah, what was the, you know, the pregame buildup? You were in Columbus. You, were, you went to the uh, media availability during the week. You were there early on campus. You see the 100,000 streaming in. Um, compared to some other Ohio State Michigan games that you've been to in the past, I mean the the, the buildup from this one was to, it just seemed incredible. It did, and and you know the ex- expectation in Columbus was, hey, they beat us last year, and things are going to be different. You now Jim Knowles is here, 
we have this offense, it's in Columbus, all these things. It wasn't that different. I mean, it, it played out almost exactly like last year's game, minus Aiden Hutchison, you know, harassing CJ Stroud for four quarters. I think um, it, it, it wasn't different. Ohio State had, it was worse because of the defensive breakdown. So now you got, you know, as always, when Ohio State loses a game, there is a overreaction. Um, but when there's that overreaction, it, it just now it's Ryan Day should be fired. Well, he, he's Bill. He's forty-five and five. Imagine saying a coach with a ninety percent winning percentage should be fired because they're one and two against Michigan. The John Cooper comparisons are starting, which are preposterous. They they wouldn't do that for thirteen years with Ryan Day. And um, and to me, it's it's like this. It's now Michigan's a worthy adversary. They dragged them for two decades and. There's not one person in Ann Arbor that's going to feel sorry for anybody in Columbus right now after the two decades of dominance that the Buckeyes had in the rivalry. And you want to talk about fire Ryan Day. Well, what happened? Look at the other side of the rivalry. Harbaugh was, what, 0-5? Mm-hmm. Did they fire him? No. And look they, who's on top right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I think what Harbaugh's done at Michigan is similar to Dabo at Clemson in a lot of ways, like Clemson, his first four years, what was happening? He was getting dragged by Steve Spurrier. And now that's come full, full circle. But I mean, they stuck with Dabo for through the hard times. And then, then they got rolling. And I think Michigan is at the point now where they're going to start rolling a little bit. They need to recruit a little better. I mean, obviously Jim flirting with the NFL took a hit on last year's recruiting class, but in terms of what they have on the field, and the way that they play, and like I said, not scared. J.J. McCarthy wasn't scared of that place. They hadn't won there in 22 years. And he was acting like he was ready for that moment. Um, Donovan Edwards, they did all that without Blake Corum. That's probably the, the most stunning part, is the Heisman candidate played, had two runs. And how many teams could do that? Have their best player not play and go into a place like that and dominate? I was just about to bring that up. Blake Corum, to me... That's the argument when we get into later on about how bad this loss was for Ohio State in terms of rankings and things like that. Michigan went in on the road without its best player, and they are known for their running game, and he is key to that running game, and they still got blown out. J.J. McCarthy, everybody's been waiting for a game like that for him all year. When are they going to take the the leash off J.J. McCarthy? When are they going to take it off? Well, they took it off on Saturday, struggled early. I don't know if people remember that. He was three for nine at one point uh, with about, I don't know, 40-something yards. He had a sack. He did not look great early, but he hit that one uh, pass out in the flat, broke the tackle. I can't remember who it was. Uh, Johnson. Johnson with the first touchdown, and that sort of relaxed McCarthy, it looked like. And then from then on, it was on, and he was finding receivers, and they were going deep, and they hammered them with the with the long passing game. And McCarthy said after the game, we knew Ohio State was going to be focused on the run. We knew we were going to have to take our shots. And when it came time to do it, he was the man to do it. They had 249 yards on five plays, on the five touchdown plays. I mean, that was the st- – then that's what Ohio State's supposed to do, have the big play offense. And, you know, they it was – eye-opening and good good on jj mccarthy i mean it, that they answered every question like we were talking about this with elliot our boss yesterday i mean i think harbaugh has a decent case for coach of the year switch quarterbacks everybody everybody ripped him for that what happened it worked ripped his schedule all year what happened they're 12 and 0 
went into Columbus without his best player and coached circles around Ryan Day. Nobody he, thought they were going to do that. And now it's flipped the other way, like I said. I mean, all of those things. Sonny Dykes is probably my pick for Coach of the Year right now, but I, I, Jim Harbaugh to me is right there mm-hmm. because all of these things that people tell him he can't do because he's such an easy target for criticism. I mean, since that Michigan State loss last year, they've lost one game to Georgia. Pretty right. incredible. Yeah, what is he, 24-2? and two? Something like that, yeah. Like since, it's uh, since getting a pay cut. Yeah, I mean, they, I was asking and, you, do you need a pay cut to raise your yeah, level, like Jim Harbaugh? No, I just, I always tell you, I need yelled at more. Like if you yell at me like my mom does, then I get angry and do better. But um, it's so one thing I'm starting to wonder about Michigan, and we can get into this down the road. Will it be different if they see Georgia? I think it's going to be a little bit different. I don't know that they can beat Georgia, but this team lost Aiden Hutchison and David Ojabo, and they are better. They are definitively better to me this year than they were last year, and they proved it on Saturday. Yeah, and they showed versatility too because, like I said, they they opened up the lead with the pass, right? And then when it came time to take control of the game, Ohio State punted. A lot was made of Ohio State punting at the Michigan 45-yard line or whatever it was. Um, The bigger story to me wasn't necessarily the decision to punt. What was like Michigan taking eight minutes off the clock following that punt. That was demoralizing. You know, Day thought, okay, hold them down there. We can get the ball back. You know, that was obviously what he was thinking. And his team didn't get touched the ball for another eight minutes. And by the time they did, they were even further behind. Yeah. And just some questionable play calls by Ohio State. The fourth and two, they throw a tight end streak to Caden Cade Stover. And it was a decent throw, but it got broken up. Um the the play before and they were down by eleven and, and again with Stover, he tries to catch it and Mike Sanders still breaks up a pass. They kick a field goal. It, there's a video going around where it looked like they may have had a fake punt set up and the, the snap came to the punter and it blew that up. I mean, uncharacteristic things. And remember last week, Bill, we were talking about John Cooper. And I went back and looked because I promised you I would. <laughs> if you take away Cooper's record against Michigan and bowl games, so take that off of his total record, he was 106, 25, and 4 at Ohio State. That's a winning percentage of 82%. So these Cooper to Brian Day comparisons – I still think they're ridiculous, but I growing up around here and knowing the fan base, know how they behave. Like my con, the only fan base that is like this is Alabama, where they expect literally to win every week, and when they don't get to what they want, some of these things happen. I, you know, it, it it was a bad day for Ohio State. Now the good news is, and you can't even tell them that now, is they're still a backdoor into the playoff. If they get some help this weekend, they could, they could, they could. Um, so yeah, great job covering all that stuff at sportingnews.com. We had a ton of stories. You wrote about Michigan, you wrote about Ryan day, and uh, they are still up and relevant, uh, at sportingnews.com. Let's go out to LA for the other big playoff implication rivalry game, uh, Saturday night when USC took care of Notre Dame. It was an interesting game. USC seemed to always be in control. They were up 10-0 at the end of the first quarter and never really let Notre Dame back in the game. But the the final stats were interesting. You know, Caleb Williams played out of his mind, it seemed like. 
impossible to tackle, made all the big plays, but he only threw for 232 yards and he only ran for 35. It just seemed like he had about 500. Meanwhile, Drew Pine, who had a critical fumble and just couldn't quite get Notre Dame going down the field, he finished 23 for 26, 318 yards and three touchdowns. So if you if you looked at the box score before the game and you told Notre Dame those numbers and you told Notre Dame that they would uh, be right there with USC total yards four away four thirty you'd expect a much closer game but it just it just wasn't and I'm, I'm not totally sure why and that's good for USC because I mean that's what Notre Dame wanted a game with those kind if you look at the final stats like you said Notre Dame fans take that mm-hmm. and Caleb only had two hundred thirty. Now the three rushing touchdowns is a problem, but that was the problem as he was able to escape the pocket, make some plays with his legs, uh, firm up a Heisman campaign that he can just put the final signature on this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. His 44 total touchdowns. I was, you know, when I was prepping for this last night, I kind of just, you, every once in a while you add that up, you're like 34 plus 10. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just behind Austin Reed at Kentucky, Western Kentucky who's done. So, and when all is said and done, he's going to have 50-some touchdowns this year. And that's what Lincoln Riley does. I thought Lincoln Riley called a good game. They've managed the Travis Dye injury well. Mm. The running game, Austin Jones has been good. And their offense can be overwhelming. And like you said, we kind of talked about this last week with Drew Pine. They needed lights out Drew Pine. They needed you know, him not to match Caleb Williams, but just to not make mistakes. And I thought Notre Dame played well, but not well enough to win. Yeah, I read a story in The Athletic this morning that talked about Notre Dame, I think, had 16 missed tackles mm-hmm. on Saturday, and they had 16 the previous four games combined. And that was a lot of that's chasing Caleb Williams around, right? But a lot of it came in the running game, too. I mean, uh, Austin Jones was terrific. They They ran him up the middle several times. And that was part of USC maintaining control of the game, not necessarily running away from Notre Dame, but maintaining control. And now they win the Pac-12 championship game. They have to beat Utah, of course, who beat them first time around. Right. I think they're in the playoff, right? Oh, there it's a lock. I mean, that's that's the thing, is it's I'm like excited about a potential Georgia USC matchup. You know, and I and I go back to like when Lincoln Riley was at Oklahoma and had Baker Mayfield, that Rose Bowl was incredible against Georgia. Now, mm. granted, it was Georgia five years ago, but the coaching matchup would be great because I think Caleb Williams could push it down and make some plays. And I think Georgia could run for 600 yards in that game, but it will be entertaining one way or the other. So, um, again, yeah, I mean, Caleb Williams is incredible. USC's got this their win they're in and um they get to correct their mistake essentially utah beat them and and you go back and look at that game usc lost the two touchdown lead uh utah cam rising made the plays in the clutch i like usc to correct it though and and i know we'll talk about that more tomorrow i think and that's good for college football that ends the pac-12 drought you'll have two big 10 teams in the playoff in michigan and usc it's great it's great for the conference yeah and you look you talk about Jim Harbaugh, you talk about Sonny Dykes, Lincoln Riley is right in that conversation as well for National Coach of the Year for what he's done in year one out in Los Angeles with all the transfers and implementing his system, and all of a sudden he might have, what, his 
is it his third Heisman Trophy quarterback? Third, third and almost four because Jalen Hurts. I mean, you look in a couple – well, Baker's not going to start. So, like, in two years, he's going to be able to claim, like, three or four NFL quarterbacks. I mean, that's – that's, that's how you recruit. That's, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what you tell a five-star quarterback. Well, go look at Kyler. Go look at Jalen. Don't maybe don't look at Baker right now, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, still the number one overall pick. So. Yeah, still still got a lot of money, and I still like Baker Mayfield. Actually, I think you know, hey, I, if I was selling Baker Mayfield to somebody, I said, hey, you want a playoff game with the Browns? Period. That's end of story. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, they they definitely been able to do that and he'll be able to continue to do that because of the guys that are going to follow Caleb Williams at USC they could very easily become quarterback you so let's talk about tonight's show okay I think to me there's two debates Mm -hmm. uh one was who's number one and then one is who is number five okay number one actually is a debate Michigan looked as good as you can look against one of the top teams in the country we talked about that already do they have a better resume than Georgia? You know, they beat Ohio State and Penn State as their top two wins. Georgia beat Tennessee and Oregon. Where do you fall on the who, who could be number one debate? Well, I mean, Georgia's opponents had a combined record of 85 and 58. And that is factoring. I guess it's cheating a little bit, Bill, because that has a 10-1 and one Sanford team on it. But Sanford is, is Sanford, could Sanford beat Hawaii? I mean, is that some conversation that could happen in the maybe the, so? Uh, yeah, I mean, probably. And then Michigan again, um, their their combined record of their opponents is seventy two and seventy three. And unfortunately, and this is a problem for Ohio State too in Michigan, I think. And I think it got rectified here. We can, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But the Big Ten is not good outside of three teams right now. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Purdue maybe gives Michigan a scare, but. That strength of schedule that Georgia has, even though they didn't play a lot of the best teams in the SEC, is still better than what Michigan played. I mean, they played Tennessee. They played Kentucky. They played Florida, um, Mississippi State, South Carolina. That win looks better now, and they just toyed with them early in the season. So Mm -hmm. not to mention Oregon. So I think Georgia is number one. Plus, I'm a believer in, you know, they've got the belt. They've got the belt from last year. Somebody's got to take the belt from them. They've won how many games? They've won every game since the SEC championship. And so I think it'll be Georgia one, Michigan two, even though Michigan has the best win, I think Georgia has the better resume. Could Michigan steal it from them with a huge win over Purdue and Georgia kind of struggles with LSU a little bit? I mean, I, maybe, but I don't think at that point matter because what they'll do is they're going to keep Georgia and Atlanta Probably they'll protect that. Well, and no, I think Michigan, and I think they are. I think go I ahead. think the number one seed gets to pick where you go. Right. So maybe Michigan would take Atlanta and say, "Go out to exactly, the exactly." That's, I think they might. I would if I were them. Right. And Harbaugh probably would do that. Um, so, but I, I, I still think they'll they'll keep it on Georgia because they'll just the SEC. This is something I've been talking about with my buddies a lot. Is just even as somebody that grew up in Big Ten country, the SEC is just a better conference. And one of the reasons why is Texas A&M can beat LSU last week. Mm-hmm. You don't look at a game in, in Big Ten country and be like, oh, oh, Bill, Ohio State's out of Maryland. They're going to lose. It might get tested. By two not- touchdowns, right. LSU lost by two touchdowns. Right. They're, the, Ohio State may go to 
Iowa and get tested, but they're not losing. And it, and when it happens, we it's a shock. Like I wasn't that shocked that Texas A&M beat LSU. Like that's that just makes sense. I mean, right. you got to play every week in the SEC. So that's why I think Georgia will be one. I do think they're the two best teams in the country. We'll have a plenty. We'll have a month to talk about the potential <laughs> rematch. Um, I think it's a little bit different. I, I but then again, I'm the same guy that thought last year, hey, jo- Michigan's pretty good up front. They might be able to hang. And Georgia, two drives into the game, I was like, well, that was wrong. So um, <laughs> we'll have. A, but again, these these have been the two best teams in the country. Let's go to the other debate, number five, the more important debate. Okay, we got Georgia, Michigan. And then TCU, USC sitting inside the bracket right now. And then whoever's number five, it's either Ohio State or Alabama. They're sitting back this weekend. They're done. They can't improve their resume. They can't obviously get upset. They are hoping and sit. One of those two teams wants to be sitting at number five, watch USC lose Friday night, or watch TCU lose on Saturday, and then hold their breath. Sunday they can slip, slip back into the bracket at number four whoever is number five tonight is going to be in the driver's seat obviously because their resume is not going to change after this weekend so you debated this morning on sportingnews.com the story is up it's ohio state alabama this is a critical this is the critical part of the show tonight we'll see how long they milk it while everybody's watching who is number five who do you think should be number five ohio state or alabama this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, let's start out with I didn't listen to my editor and I just eliminated Tennessee right out of the bat. Am I wrong for doing that? Is there any case for Tennessee? I'll give you the floor on that one. I mean, Tennessee and Alabama have pretty similar resumes, right? Mm-hmm. They're both 10 and 2. They're both in the SEC. When they played each other, it came down to the last play of the game. Uh, Tennessee has two losses. Alabama has two losses. Now, Alabama has two close losses. Well, Tennessee kind of got blown out twice, right? And right. Not you know, the, the, the history of the uh, – right, the history of the, the committee says they don't like blowout losses and right. they don't like two-loss teams. So that's two strikes against Tennessee right off the bat. Alabama only has one strike against them in terms of having two losses. But, you know, Tennessee has much more impressive wins. The win at LSU, the blowout win at LSU is far better than anything Alabama has on its resume. And to put, you know, salt in the wound there – LSU beat Alabama in LSU, same stadium. So that's Tennessee's argument is like, hey, what about the LSU game? And what about the fact that we won head to head? And that's a that's a strong argument. But I agree, um, but I think that just they got eliminated by the blowout against South Carolina. That's how the committee will see it. You mm-hmm. present a really good case. I mean, they did beat them head to head, but I just knowing committee behavior, that was the second that they got blown out and the second that and then Hooker went down that they were basically going to the Sugar Bowl or the Cotton Bowl. And plus, it spices up this argument with Alabama and Ohio State, which, you know, we sketched out. And 
it's pretty simple. Like those Alabama's two close losses in a better conference, which we just talked about, way more than Ohio State's blowout loss at home to a better team. You know, like I still think Ohio State and what they'll cash in is the victory against the top ten team, Penn State, a victory against Notre Dame. That's I, you know, where do you think they'll be billed? About eighteen to twenty. Um, Alabama's best win ranking wise right now will probably be Texas in a game that they should have lost. So well, I don't uh, think they should have lost necessarily, but Texas you, was down right. their quarterback during that game. Of, right. And Texas, they could have lost. Let's admit yeah. it to that. Like they easily could have lost because Texas had a field goal and, and you know, some things happened. So their best wins are Texas and the Mississippi schools. Whereas Ohio State's best wins are Penn State, Notre Dame. Their third best wins probably Iowa, which is not great, but you know it, it is what it is. Um, it was fifty-four to ten, so not bad. Not a bad win against a seven-win team. They won by forty-four. Ohio State, I think, wins this wins this argument tonight. And the the hard part is they can't really change their mind or or justify changing their mind based on the fact that neither one of these teams is going to play this week. Right, and, and none of the teams that they played on their resumes is going to have a significant change this weekend. And you know what I mean? So you're right. This is, this is what you watch tonight because this is who the back door may open for. Um, And I think Ohio state's going to be the right answer. So we'll see though. I mean, this committee, they, I don't know how they're going to view that blowout loss because it was very jarring. It was very emotional. And recency and, okay, bias is a real thing. It's a human nature thing. I mean, right. recency bias is you try to ignore it, but you can't. You just saw it five days ago. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Who would you pick if Alabama played Ohio State? Who would you pick to win? Toss up, really? I mean, I mean, like, I, lo- I think I think Alabama is still really, really good. Like Bryce Young, I trust him more in big spots than I do Stroud. And I think I've Alabama seen him drag that team over the finish line. I mean, Alabama just—it seems to me every time I watch, I'm like, so many self-inflicted mistakes. Mm-hmm. I guess at this point, it's not—it's—it's it's not just a, a one-off. It's a pattern with this team. But if they could ever clean that up, I think they're right back to where they've been or close yeah. to it. Right, and I think that's—I we'll see. I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious. I do think that the two-loss rule still applies, though. I haven't seen a two-loss team in the playoff. I don't think we will, um, but we'll see. I mean, that's that's definitely something to watch tonight. Let's close the podcast with a little coaching discussion. We've had three hires, I think, since our last podcast. Uh, done three major programs, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Auburn, all made it official. All three were a little bit of a surprise, I think. If you, if, if you were told a month ago who's going to get the Wisconsin, Nebraska, and Auburn jobs, right, you'd probably go Jim Leonard. Lance Leipold and Lane Kiffin, probably the leaders of those three. And we ended up with Luke Fickle, Matt Rule, and Hugh Freeze. Uh, who came out of this uh, with the best hire? Fickle to Wisconsin, hands mm-hmm. down. Most surprising of the three, too. I mean, because like when we made those coaching lists that we always do at Sporting News, everybody else does them, too. Um, Nebraska, we had Rule on there. I think Auburn, we had Freeze on there as mm-hmm. like a – Makes sense. I thought, really thought with Luke Fickle that he would stay at Cincinnati for a few more years. It is a home run for the Badgers. Uh, and we talked about this before the Paul Christ firing. 
they have the sixth, like you tell somebody this, they say, wow, they have the sixth best record among power five schools in the playoff era. Like behind who? Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Oklahoma. You stay, and what do those teams have? Playoff appearances. So I think Luke Fickle. Even, even ahead of Notre Dame, who's been in the playoff multiple times, Wisconsin's still ahead of Michigan. And ahead of Michigan. Ahead of Michigan. Ahead of, you know, plenty of good programs. And um, Fickle's talent development and recruiting at Cincinnati was incredible. I- incredible. Ahmad Gardner, I mean, Desmond Ritter, Alec Pierce, these are guys that are playing on Sunday. Uh, well, Ritter will be soon. Um, but great job. And I think if he can bring that to Wisconsin, which already does a pretty good job of producing NFL guys, improves the recruiting, develops a quarterback, they'll dominate the Big Ten West. I, I like their, their hire the best of the three by far. You know who else likes it? Ryan Day. Well, maybe until Wisconsin comes in and beats him, and then he's really not going to like it. So, um, you know, if that happens. But, you know, Wisconsin hasn't beat Ohio State since there was a game. I, I, the year, I think, was 11. They had J.J. Watt and, and that game. And they, they didn't beat Ohio State when they had Russell Wilson. But that's an aside. Matt Rule's a great hire, too. I, I love – and the Big Ten West just got a lot better with two hires. Cause I think Matt rule, I don't know what your expectations bill would be for what he does. I think he gets them back to like nine wins, nine, 10 wins, and maybe they're competing there and that's a start. So yeah, the big 10 West just, and then you'd factor in that UCLA and USC are coming. I would just slide Purdue over to the other division and keep the divisions. I think you could survive with that. I'm done predicting Nebraska hires after Scott Frost. So I'm, I'm going to remain yeah. <laughs> what, about on that one. what about you <laughs> what do we do yeah lane kiffin really surprised me i mean he seemed to drop breadcrumbs all season complaining about the old miss fans not showing up for those you know 11 a.m kickoffs you know partying too much in the grove and he, his statements on texas a&m having more nil monies hinting that old miss couldn't compete resource wise with team in its division and it just he didn't totally dismiss the Auburn talk leading into the Egg Bowl. And then all of a sudden he pulled out. So that really surprised me. I thought Kiffin would be successful at Auburn. I think you know he's done a great job at Ole Miss. And Auburn probably is disappointed that uh, they weren't able to get him. How will Hugh Freeze do? I mean, he's been good wherever he's been, right? So yep. he did great at Ole Miss. He did great at Liberty. He's got some baggage that it's it's hard to overlook um you know in terms of character and whatever you want to say recruiting violations at Ole Miss that were that were uncovered by the NCAA you know Auburn is known for not you know caring giving guys a second chance let's say that uh Bruce Pearl among them right on the basketball side and that has worked out well for them they're not afraid to uh hire guys with uh with some no. dings on their resume, so to speak. So, you know, I, I, I would think he, he's a better fit than Brian Harson was. And, you know, he needs to ramp up the recruiting. You know, how, wh- how big is his name out there? Is it as big as Lane Kiffin with the high school kids and the, and the transfer portal kids? Probably not, right? But, um, you know, scheme-wise, you know, what he did at Liberty was very, very impressive. What he did at Ole Miss, he beat more talented teams, 
uh, Bobby Petrino comes to mind as somebody who was able to do, you know, more with less type of thing. So I think that's what Auburn got. And uh, we'll just see how it works out. I mean, I think he'll do fine. I mean, he, he's the guy that it'll bug Saban a little bit. He beat Saban a few times. Uh, last, you know, last, I think he's the last guy to do it back to back in the SEC, uh, 15 and 16. And even the next year, they were up big. And then Jalen Hurts rallied Alabama back, um, produced some freaks, you know, DK and uh, Elijah Moore, those type of guys that uh, AJ Brown, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, they. Mm-hmm. Had a ridiculous receiving room when he was there, and Chad Kelly, NFL QB, um, Malik Willis at Liberty, NFL QB. So offensively, yeah, I mean, the baggage that you mentioned, it's it's something to watch because I mean, obviously, short leash embarrassed the entire SEC. Greg Sankey's probably going to have like a you know monitor that program very closely. Probation officer. <laughs> like somebody like a representative in the office or something but you know for Auburn if they weren't going to get Lane this isn't bad I mean it's not I mean he is an SEC coach and he's getting a second chance and you know like Petrino took advantage of his time at Arkansas until the embarrassment that followed and he's still coaching why is he still coaching because he still know how still knows how to coach offense and so does Hugh Freeze and I think um See how it works. I can't. It can't be worse than the last two years. It can't be worse than a five and seven season. I think they find a quarterback. Get back to man. That division just has the best collection of. Per, I was mentioning the Big Ten West and and everything there. This SEC West has the best collection of coaches and personalities probably in the country. Now you get Freeze in there with BK and Lane, and I'm trying to think if Hugh Freeze is coaching the worst team in the division last year. That's telling you something, how loaded the coaching talent will be in this division for years to come. And Sark's on his way as well. So more more color, more personality there. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's podcast. For a bloodied Bill Bender, I'm Bill <laughs> Trochi. And uh, we will see you after the ranking show for our next uh, podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the CFB Nation All-America Podcast. 